0: Y'all, it was great to uh, be on a sabbatical the past few weeks, and it is great to be back. May I say that? I wanna thank you for that time. Perhaps you're new to fellowship. You know, if you've been coming over the last month or so, you've missed me. Let me introduce myself. My name's Lloyd Shadrach. I'm one of the teaching pastors here alongside Rob Sweet. who's our lead pastor and teaching pastor. Special thanks to um, Robbie Painter, uh, Eric Hoffman stepped in to teach in, in my absence, and to Rob, y'all, because he you know, carried his teaching load and his leadership load uh, in my absence. Um, at the end of my sabbatical, Lisa and I found ourselves in Little Rock at the uh, funeral of a dear, dear friend. And while, while there, I ran into a couple that Lisa and I used to be on staff with at Family Life, which is based there in Little Rock. And you know, we were there for some 13 years before moving here to plant, be a part of planting fellowship. And uh, this couple, um, he's a pastor. He's been a pastor for, gosh, the last decade or so. And I hadn't seen him in forever. And somehow they, they had known that I was on a sabbatical and that was, I was at the end of it. And so I ran into him at a Starbucks. And um, the wife, she's very bubbly, effervescent, outgoing. And, and, uh, and she said, uh, oh, Lloyd, Lloyd, did God show you anything new? or what new insights do you have from your sabbatical? And I kid you not, it didn't take a split second. And what came out of my mouth was nothing, nothing new, <laughs> you know? And, and we laughed, kind of giggled like this. And I remember leaving there, Lisa wasn't right with me at that, at, at that moment. And I remember talking to her about, you know, we giggled about that. That was a true statement, And the more I thought about it, I thought, well, why why would I say that? And I think it's partly this. I am so grateful I get to do what I do with the people I get to do it with, which includes all of you. And that we get to be about the most important thing in the universe. And that is following Jesus with our whole heart and then helping others do the same. That's not new insight, right? That's not new news. And just seeing it in that light for me made me all the more grateful, all the more grateful that I get to be with you. Well, we enter our second week of Advent. Advent means coming. And it is the coming of the birth of Christ. You know this. If you follow Christ, it's a, it's a four-week time right before the birth of Christ, which represented by the, uh, the Christ candle here, that we prepare ourselves for that birth. Not, a, not decorate the tree, not lights on the outside of the house. Rob said this. It's an internal preparation. It is, it is a preparation of the heart. Last week, Rob mentioned that little line in joy to the world. Let every heart prepare him room. And so now you know our theme for Advent this year is make room. And well, where do we get that? Well, we, we, we pulled that out of the, the, the context of the birth of Christ. Rob said last week and, and you know reminded us that contrary to the way the story is often told, of how, you know, how the events of Jesus's birth unfolded. Um, the text, and we were in Luke last week, we'll be in it again this week, explicitly, tell, not explicitly, everything within the text seems to point to someone made room for Jesus. Contrary to no vacancy, go to the barn, we don't have room for you. No, someone made room, and, and, and it makes the most contextual sense that they were invited to the home of a relative for the birth of Christ. It's the presence of Jesus that's our greatest need because the presence of Jesus is life. His presence is a foretaste. It's a hint, it's a preview, it's a foretaste of the home we were made for. But we don't experience that foretaste when we're not making room for him. And so we're exploring what making that kind of room looks like. I'm gonna ask us this morning, we're gonna jump back into Luke here in a moment, and we're gonna ponder what it means to make room for Jesus. I'm not sure how to categorize this, so bear with me. How to make room for Jesus in a very common experience of life. We all, experience it, but we don't like to talk about it. We don't like to let it be known. And there's nothing more important than in that place in life that we find ourselves that we invite in and we make room for Christ right there. I want you to turn in your Bibles back to Luke. We're gonna go back to Luke. We're gonna be in chapter one, not chapter two. We're gonna be in verses five through steps. Five through 24. It's interesting when Luke tells the birth narrative of Jesus, he starts with the birth narrative of John the Baptist. That's what we're going to be in. Not focusing on the birth of John the Baptist, no. I want us to focus in this part of the story, we're going to be looking at John the Baptist's mom and dad, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and the circumstances in their lives that preceded the birth of John. And my prayer is, that we'll, we'll transport ourselves into their circumstance because there's something common that they went through, that we go through as well. I'm gonna read the story. I'm gonna do it a couple verses at a time. Uh, I'm gonna put a little header on each section. Um, we're gonna walk it through. The point being, let's, let, uh, I'll give you some context. Let's understand the story. And and while I could go a number of places with this story, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna turn our focus to this one particular area as we seek to apply it. Let's start with verses five through seven. I just call it godly and barren, godly and barren. Verses five through seven, our text for today. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. This is a massive contrast, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Zechariah is a priest He marries a girl, Elizabeth, who's from the priestly line of Aaron. I mean, this is strong pedigree, religious pedigree. They are, the text says, exemplary. Luke says they are righteous in the sight of God. That does not mean they're sinless. It's not that righteousness. It simply means they kept God's commands with rigor and and detail they were good people and they were childless she was barren and now beyond childbearing years y'all the juxtaposition of verse 6 and verse 7 could not be greater to, to be to be childless in that in that culture is to be on the outs I you know when I just start speaking right here of infertility and barrenness there's no question whether online or in the room it's triggering things for many in the room including myself where Lisa and I struggled with infertility for years it, it's a deep hurt and wound and loss. in in this particular in this particular culture and Elizabeth's going to say it a little bit later. It, it's not, the word's not shameful. It, she'll use the word reproach, like like it's a. Rep- she bore reproach because she didn't have a child. We were made. We we're wired, God equipped us to bear children and those who can't. um, That is perhaps one of the deepest and darkest losses that the soul can bear. And let me add this observation. I want you to note this. Following God does not make one immune from suffering. Said another way, doing all the right things doesn't guarantee a right and good result. Verses six and seven, you all, obliterate any notion that a life of faith makes for a life without pain and loss hurt and suffering just obliterates it It, it, that's not the life of this is the life of faith godly and barren it's not an oxymoron godly and barren this is life in a fallen world for those who follow jesus let's go to the next little section um i just call it roll of the dice the roll of the dice look at verses 8 through 12 Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot, roll of the dice. They rolled the dice, it's your turn to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. There appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense and Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell Upon him, there were a, a, approximately eighteen thousand priests at this time in in Israel's history. They were divided into groups or divisions, and each division was assigned a certain time of year when they had to come to Jerusalem and serve in the temple. Um, there would be they were assigned two weeks every year. It's like being in the National Guard, you know, and you got to go do your time or that month. Or so. this is kind of what that's like. So. Twice a year, um, your division would go to Jerusalem to serve and you would serve for a week. One of the priest's duties was to burn the incense in the temple. Only a priest could go in and do this. And so they roll the dice. It falls on Zechariah. Do you know that for the priest, this is one of the highest privileges they would ever experience? some priests never got to do it. The dice never fell before they died or aged out. Those who got to do this did it once. And who knows when you're gonna get to do it. It's the roll of the dice. Elijah would have gone in and burned the incense and the incense rises up, the fragrance of the incense. You note the text says, the people outside were praying. The priest is representing the prayers of the people and then bringing him in there and burning the incense and praying that prayer to God. Does this all make sense? It's, it's one of the highest gifts, you know, callings and opportunities for them. He looks over after he's got this incense burning and there's an angel. We don't know what he looked like. We, we know he spoke. So Zechariah was troubled and fear fell upon him. That's the response people will have to angels in the Bible. If you ever, I don't know that I've seen an angel, but if, if you did and you weren't troubled and fearful, perhaps you haven't seen an angel. Let me add this quick observation to this little section, roll the dice. The dice that God rolls are always loaded. That's the point. There's no random chance that it was Zachariah. R.C. Sproul once said, there are no maverick molecules in the universe. He's speaking of the meticulous providence of God. We could add there are no unloaded dice. What appears to be chance and randomness, that's why people roll dice or whatever. No, 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 there's the sovereign hand of God orchestrating his creatures and creation for his purposes and his plans. And may I say this, and here's why I wanted us to just stop on this for a moment. What's true there is true in your life and mine. Every second, the sovereign hand of God ordering our way. Okay, verses 13 to 17, I'm just gonna call it, you know, it's godly and barren, roll of the di- I'm just gonna call this answered prayer. Here's answered prayer. Look at verse 13 to 17. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth Now, we read that, and it can hit us in different ways. Trust me when I tell you, when those words hit Zechariah, he knew what the angel was saying. He, He knew the angel was quoting the prophet Isaiah. 700 years before the birth of Christ, when Isaiah, and he writes in Isaiah 40, verse three, a voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness, make smooth in the desert, a highway for our God. Zechariah hears him talking about this son that that they're gonna have. He's gonna be the preparer of the Messiah. He knew this. He would know that the book of Malachi, which closes our Old Testament, that Malachi is speaking of this forerunner and what he would do, Malachi 4, 6, and he, the forerunner. And of course, Zechariah's going, it's gonna be my son. <laughs> he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. I, I can't even fathom it. I mean, it had to be more than he could absorb and take in, but it's not like he's going, what are you talking about? What's he gonna, he knew what the angel was saying. And it was perhaps more than he could take in in a moment. Here's a question just to ponder. You don't have to answer out loud on this one. When Zachariah went in, lit the incense, was his prayer, oh God, would you give me and Elizabeth a child? Was, in other words, I'm asking you, do, what, do you think his prayer was for his own child? It's not a trick question, but just to think, it's worth thinking about. Because the angel comes, and note that the angel says, Your prayer has been heard. You're gonna have a boy, and goes on. There's a bit of a tension in that, and I think it gets resolved as we finish out the passage. Look at the next section, verses 18 to 23. Here's, here's um Zechariah's response, and, and I've just called it unbelief. Unbelief. Verse 18 to 23, And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. (laughs) and It really is one of these, Do you know who I am? (laughs) I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. When Gabriel says, I stand in the presence of God, I was sent to speak these words to you. He's saying nothing less than this. I am, sp- me speaking to you, is God speaking to you, Zechariah? When God created the world and all that is, how did he do it? By what means? What was the mechanism God used? What did he do? He spoke it. You'll note the speaking part of this text, you know, that it goes from, you know, he can't speak. Think about, there's a lot in that. But he spoke it into being. And so for for Gabriel to say to Zechariah what he said, God just spoke what was spoken into being. (laughs) <laughs> you will have a son. He will do all that has been spoken. It can be no other way for God has said it. I find Zachariah's response reasonable. <laughs> the angel did not, so to speak. How shall I know? I mean, I think he's doing what most of us would have done and went, I'm old. She, she is past menopause this can't happen. How, how will I know? Well, according to the angel, that was an expression of unbelief. You did not believe my words. And therefore he's made mute, no longer has the ability to speak, won't speak until the child is born. Yes, it's punishment. Is that the right word? There's, it, it, it cost him his unbelief, but I think, I think there's real blessing in that. That he can't speak you think about it how how will i know every every time he tried to open his mouth his mind said it's gonna happen it's gonna happen (laughs) there's something else the angel says we need to make note of he speaks of his message as good news now i'm gonna draw our attention to that because it's the greek evangelizo, evangelizo. Did you hear in that evangelion, evangel. When it's translated in the Testament, it's translated good news. And you know what's translated good news? The gospel, the story of redemption, of a God who sent his only son to die on the cross for our sins, who was buried and raised again. And all who put their trust in Christ are saved from their sin. That's the gospel, the good news. And so now we recognize that the answer to Zachariah is way bigger than your boy, Zachariah. This is none other than God unfolding his plan of redemption. And you're a part of that plan of redemption. Which tells me, or I think it points to the unlikelihood. I'm not saying he couldn't have done this, but he's already said, I'm advanced, I'm, I'm too old, she's too old. I don't know. It's it's like he, he, he probably prayed for a child every day of his life until it was like, it ain't gonna happen anymore. You know what I'm saying? And so the text reminds us that these people praying outside, that the priest is representing their prayers as he comes into the temple and burns the incense. Does that make sense? So I don't think he was praying for his own child. He was praying for Israel's Messiah to come and God heard his prayer. It ends with Elizabeth. I I think of that line uh, in the song that the team wrote for the Nowhere Town, uh, Look What the Lord Has Done. We sing that song sometimes. That's what happens here. Look what the Lord has done. Verse 24 and 25. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and for five minutes, she kept herself hidden, saying, thus The Lord has done for me in the days when He looked on me to take away my reproach among people. From the first year of her marriage until now, she's an older woman, post menopause, unable to have children. Certainly, decades of life, the majority of her life, it says, she notes herself. That she lived with reproach. What a strong word! It means people express peop, it means peop, it means people express displeasure in her, and she felt it. Disapproval. See, in Elizabeth Day, you know, a woman wouldn't wouldn't just, you know, any woman who's struggles and a couple of struggles with infertility feels like something's wrong with us. You know, I I totally get that. In that day, it just was more, it was absolutely common that everyone around you felt that about you. Can you imagine? So that's the context and the circumstances that lead up. Now, John's birth comes later. We're not gonna gonna go all the way to that. We're looking at Zachariah and Elizabeth and how they lived most their life. Okay, stay with me on, on, on the majority of the life, the place that they live. And now I'm gonna ask you a question and I'm gonna ask you to respond, just yell out a word or a statement. Let's think about Zechariah and Elizabeth and from their moment of their wedding to this moment and the life with John's gonna be very small, but living, praying for a child, not having a child, for decades, what, what can, what would you imagine? Let's use our sanctified imagination. What do you imagine they went through? What, what, what are some of the things, you know, she says I, I bore reproach. What are some of the things that she, he, they might've felt, thought, you know, talked to themselves, whatever. What, what, what was going through their souls in that time? What might have been going through their souls having lived with that? What, what name some things. Shame, Shame yes. Why not, God? What else? Sadness, just deep sadness. What else? Anger. What else? Disappointment. Confusion. You know, all that's in there. Now, I wanna be careful. And y'all, the text, I wanna be careful that I don't overstep. The text, we don't know what they felt, so we wanna... Be careful with this, but we also dare not lift Zechariah and Elizabeth up like this and go, I mean, look, they were he was a priest, came from a priestly line, they dealt with it and they were fine. Would that match any human experience on the planet? No, no it would not. Christian author Dorina Williamson writes of Zechariah, this aged man, had grown so familiar with disappointment. And I agree, and I believe, Elizabeth probably exceeded his own as a woman. And to the one who said disappointment, this is the place I want us to think about where we need to invite in and make room for Jesus. Where? In our disappointment. Think about disappointment with me for a moment. Disappointment is that space between reality and expectation. There's a, there's a space there. It can be little, it could be huge. Uh, this gap is disappointment. Is everybody with me, and we've talked about this before. This is this is my circumstance in life right now. And this is what I hoped would happen. I'm deeply disappointed. It's that gap between our deepest longing and, oh, that didn't do it for me. It didn't reach the deepest longing. Some may say, Lloyd, God, the Christian life's about, it's not about disappointment. It's about fulfillment and joy and It's it's about the opposite of disappointment and and I, I know it is. And it's not exclusively that. If there were no such thing as disappointment for, I'm just talking about for the Christ, if there were no such thing as disappointment for a Christ follower, then that would mean that the kingdom has fully come, that there's no death, no loss, no hurt, no shame, no difficulty, no grief, no set. None. If there's no disappointment, then he's, it's come. Now, what we do know is the kingdom has come, right? In Christ, but it is yet to come in its fullness. And therefore, in this life, disappointment is as common as the air we breathe. It's just part of a fallen world and fallen bodies for the life of me, and I tried to think about this. Is there anything in my life where I haven't tasted either great or let's just call it a whiff of disappointment? I can't name something. Lisa would not be embarrassed for me to say, it's not my marriage because there's, you know what I'm saying? It didn't, it didn't happen there. It, it didn't happen with kids. Like that was the end all be all. Gonna, it, it's not about, it's not the job. It's not you. you know, it's not, can you think of anywhere in life that's not touched by that gap of disappointment? I, I cannot because I think that's our reality in a fallen world. I've never had a Christmas that didn't include disappointment. And I mean, by this point, I I said last service, I said, y'all are ready to run out of the the room. You know, let's get out of this, you know, but no, no, let's stay there. We need to stay there because it makes the joy of Christmas all the more relevant and real. I've resonated with this statement from Philip Yancey from the first time I read it over 30 years ago. It stays with me. I've said it to you on countless occasions. The only alternative to disappointment with God is disappointment without God. Let me reframe disappointment to you in a way that, that hopefully we won't, you know, we recognize it and we don't try and bury it, deny it, ignore it. Um, and I'll talk about this in a moment and try and solve it in the wrong way. Instead, I want you, I hope you can think about disappointment. This is going to sound really weird. But as a strange gift of grace that makes Christ more precious. I was probably. I had to look up the year this thing was made because that's when I wanted it. But I was probably five or six years old when I wanted a Rock'em Sock'em Robot for Christmas. Some of y'all got it. May I say, I never did. But that, I just remember that, that I wanted Rock'em Sock'em Robots. Because, and, and, you know, as a kid, you know, that's what, you get locked into something and you think that's gonna solve all my problems. I know you're not thinking this, but just a kid, this is gonna be my greatest joy and fulfillment. I'll never get tired of playing it, you know. Um. But, but that Christmas, I, I just remember I didn't get it. Y'all, I'm a person who doesn't remember childhood. I, like, you know, my siblings talk to me and stuff. I can't remember. I don't, no, I didn't remember that. Did mom and dad do that? I didn't remember. But is it weird that I remember what I didn't get? And I was disappointed. Can you imagine all the good gifts that I got that Christmas? I can't remember. But do you know what I'm saying? At all my Christmases, you know, a child of a mom and dad who just loved their kids and wanted to make them happy, you know, wanted it to be, you know, can you imagine? And then here I am, and I remember that disappointment. It's like the freakish strength of disappointment, right? The lingering effects that stays with us. I'm still looking for my rock em robots in this way. I'm looking for that thing. Oh, when I get that. Oh, when this happens. As long as that doesn't happen, mm, it's all good. You know what I'm saying? I'm still, you still look for those things. And so disappointment keeps cropping up in my life, in yours. But rather than seeing it as a curse, okay, in, I think it's redeemed in Christ in this way. In Christ, I'm disappointed. And it's a gift that reminds me, nothing, no nothing can fill the gap of disappointment. But Jesus, nothing, 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 no nothing. But the person of Christ. What did I say at the very beginning? The presence of Christ is our greatest need. We experience the presence of Christ when we make room for him. And I'm asking us to consider in this Advent season to make room for Jesus right when you hit the disappointment, to invite him in. If you don't, okay, if you don't, if it's not Jesus who feels that, what we'll do is we'll make an idol. We'll put an idol in there that'll bite us over for a little while, then enslave us and then spit us out. It's only Christ who bridges that gap and who then sets us free and then brings us home. So he'll he'll bring us home and it's like the dis- we're going to experience the disappointments, but it's we can We can be in Christ, Christ holds us, and we can go, Christ is gonna get me through this because Christ is gonna bring me home. You know why? Because he said he would. He said he would. And when he says it, it will be. I will never leave you or forsake you. I've got a home prepared for you. And we most certainly will join him. I'm gonna invite Carl and the team back up. We'll apply this text by we're going to apply it in, in, in a song. We're going to apply it by, by responding corporately together. This song's going to put you in a reflective place to, to think about what, what's it mean to invite Jesus into this disappointment in life. And so I'm going to ask you to do this. And you know, again, it's kind of like, man, I, this is not the Christmas spirit. And I go, well, I think it's the biblical Christmas spirit. Let the spirit bring to your mind a disappointment in your world right now, right now. Just the one, you know, there's many, could be many. Just what, what is that thing that the spirit brings to your mind right now? It's like, this, this hurts, this is a loss, this is an ache, this is a grief, this is a sadness. This is not what I hope for, this is not what I'd ever want. It is though. What, what's he bringing to your mind? Just let that sit, sit with that for a moment. Don't try and push it away, deny it, ignore it. I've got mine. It's just like in both services I get That's the one that comes to me. Let's stand up together. When I say make room for Jesus in your disappointment, y'all, what I'm trying to say is in that disappointment, by faith, invite Jesus to be right there in it with you with him, to sit with him. It's nothing less than asking him to be right there with you and then trusting that he is. What we're going to sing right now I, I pray is the posture of our hearts and as we pray it and you'll see this in a moment I do believe this prayer will sing is the essence of the prayer that Zachariah prayed as he burnt the incense. I think these words, it's in here and you'll see what I mean, not give me a child. God, would you save us? Would you rescue us from this fallen darkness? This was his prayer, and I'm praying we would make it our own.